Hello there. Welcome to Faith and Capital. I'm your host, Chase Tibbs. Hey, so there are these things called algorithms, and corporations like Apple, Google, and Facebook control them. There's a lot of influential power behind them, so if you'd support the pod by going to iTunes, leaving a review or rating, that'd be really helpful. Seriously. Thank you so much. Today, we're continuing our Blind Faith series, and this episode's common assumption-slash-popular belief that often goes unquestioned or is overwhelmingly rendered indisputable is the belief that you couldn't be any freer because of capitalism, because of U.S. America's relentless commitment to capitalist values, theories, and employer-employee relations, because this country is built upon the system of capitalism as opposed to any other kind of economy, you are the freest individual who has ever lived. And remember, you have capitalism to thank, because capitalism delivers you to the highest state of freedom and protects you from all unfreedom. You couldn't be any freer. Congratulations, everyone. We've made it. Now, what I want us to do today is, yep, you guessed it, question this assumption. I want us to ask, what is, what all is behind this claim that humanity is more free under the system of capitalism than we could be under any other way of organizing the production and distribution of goods and services? In particular, I want us to ask, how is freedom being defined? And what does freedom really mean? And to get at this concept of freedom, I think there's an interesting parallel that can be made between freedom under capitalism and the peace of Christ, as told to us according to Colossians 3. We'll start with some scripture today since we've been wrapping up with it these last few episodes. After that, We'll uh, look at how capitalism in our neoliberal era has defined and shaped our understanding of freedom. When most people talk about freedom today, there's little awareness that they are thinking about freedom through a particular lens. Next, we'll offer an alternative understanding of freedom under capitalism. And finally, we'll wrap up the episode with some brief thoughts on an alternative society that, well, we'll get to that in the end. Nestled in the middle of the third chapter of Colossians, verses 12 through 17, is a call for peace. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive each other. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the, here it is, peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This peace of Christ, grounded in compassion, forgiveness, love, and harmony, is the focal point of this whole chapter. But what might this peace actually look like in practice? To answer this question, let's zoom out a little bit and uh, take a look at the whole, uh, the whole of chapter 3 from beginning to end. Because while peace might sound like something we'd all be for, much like freedom, as we will see later on, this peace of Christ might not mean what you think it means. It might not lead to a reality you would consider as peaceful at all. Verses 1-11 through 11 discusses a renewed life in Christ that leaves behind past ways of living. 
verse 11 tells us that this renewal leads to a reality in which there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. But Christ is all and in all. So far, sounds pretty good, right? This first section tells us of a new order of relations among a bunch of people renewed in the body of Christ. And this new order is an order of equality. Then, as we've already seen in the middle section, right, verses 12 through 17, uh, the author advises us to pursue and embody this peace of Christ in our relationships and in our communities. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, we are told. But we're not done yet. There's a third section, and it's an important one. Following the command to live out the peace of Christ, the author gives the audience practical instruction for living out this Christ-centered love and harmony in their real-life relationships. Think of this third section as a how-to guide for embodying the peace of Christ on earth, according to the author of Colossians. And these instructions help us understand what the author really means by peace and equality. This is uh, chapter 318 through chapter 4, verse 1. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, or they may lose heart. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it, as done for the Lord and not for your masters, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has been done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. Chapter 3, verse 19 through chapter 4, 1, is what the author's understanding of compassion, forgiveness, love, and harmony tangibly looks like. This is the author's understanding of a renewed Christ community in action, which is why in verse 11 he says that in this renewed community, there are no citizens or non-citizens, no slaves or masters. We're all equal in Christ. The uh, author's espousal of equality in verse 11 is not in conflict with the hierarchical distribution of power and the subordinating social rules assigned in the third section. Equality in Christ, right? Christ is all and in all, is not, a, is not in conflict with the command for female subordination and loving male domination, nor is it conflictual with the lengthy five verses of instruction for slaves regarding their wholehearted obedience and upstanding work ethic as dehumanized, undignified slaves. He even says that masters and slaves can know the peace of Christ together by masters relating to slaves justly and fairly. The author is not facetiously talking out of two sides of his mouth here. 
In prescribing the rules for what he believes to be harmonious peace, the author is telling the community what Christ is all and in all truly looks like and what the peace of Christ really means. And I'm just going to assume that you, like myself, do not think of slavery or patriarchy when we think of the peace of Christ. But had we not asked, what does the author mean by peace of Christ? We would not have known that we have very different understandings of peace, and that there are more ways to think about peace than one. So now, I want to ask the same of freedom, because just as the peace of Christ needed some explanation as to what that actually meant to the author, freedom under capitalism, too, needs some clarifying. Maybe, just maybe, freedom in our capitalist society does not mean what we think it means. And the freedoms of various capitalisms might not even be what we want. Let's start with a word about the definition of freedom. There is no universal definition of the concept of freedom. Freedom as understood by one person, one society, one economic theory might look like a, a lack of freedom for another. I got a tattoo on my forearm of a uh, mirroring tree, one side full of life, the other dead and barren, and in the middle of the roots is the word freedom. Now, the meaning of this tattoo has evolved for me over time. Symbols and their meaning are dynamic and fluid. And I'm sure when people see my tat and see me as a white dude wearing a Kentucky basketball shirt, they probably have their own assumptions as to what my tat means to me. All this to say that freedom means different things to different people. There's no universal or objective understanding of what it means to be free. So let's talk about the common way of understanding freedom under capitalism. First, it is largely assumed that freedom known by all living under the wing of capitalism in the U.S. is built upon the solid rock of our absolute equality. Capitalism, in the age of neoliberalism, assumes we are all competing in labor and consumer markets. We are all competing for our wants, but even our basic needs, as absolutely equal individuals person who has a net worth of $3 billion, like Mr. Trump, is thought of as an equal to his supporters who can't afford to adequately heat their homes. The renters that Trump's father built his real estate empire on were equal to his daddy as a landlord. No one has a leg up in the competitive free market on anyone. A small loan of a million dollars is no advantage at all, we might say even though we now know a million-dollar loan is not even the beginning of the help this billionaire has received. Now, a second aspect of this popular way of understanding freedom under capitalism is most aligned with neoclassical theory's understanding of what it means to be human. And the gist of it is that you are an isolated, atomistic individual. We are not persons in community. We are not relational beings in an infinitely interconnected web of existence, influenced by all things everywhere at all times. No, we are islands. We are asocial, non-relational things that determine everything about who we are and where we get to in life. 
whether a child's parents make an annual income of 40000 500000 or $6 million, has no effect on the possibilities of that child's educational attainment, we're all equal. Whether a family owns real estate, has to drive for Uber and Lyft, or wait tables as second and third jobs, owns a business that has monopolized a large market, these things have no influence on the kind of health care an individual might be able to provide for their aging parents. How you are gendered, your sexuality, your physical ability, none of these factors shape the level of wages you might have access to. How you are racialized. Well, let's just remember that the civil rights movement happened a long time ago, friends. Wealth, income, class, gender, race, none of these matter in the land of the free, because in the free market, each and every day we roll out of bed, we all get to freely hustle as equal autonomous, self-actuated individuals. Now, built upon the exceptional degree of equality that we know here in the U.S., what freedom does capitalism ensure us? What are we free to do? Freedom in our neoliberal capitalist context is understood as the liberty to individually choose. But it's not just any choice, right? individual choice regarding private possession, production, and accumulation of wealth is really the pinnacle of being human. It is the ultimate gift God has endowed us with. Because we are all perfectly equal and there's no inequality of power at all, no inequality of access, all of the results, both good and bad, are simply consequences of our individual choices. And so the lives individuals live are manifestations of their private decisions and desires. Why do three U.S. Americans, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Warren Buffett, collectively hold more wealth than half of the entire population of the U.S. combined, some 160 million people? They wake up every morning and choose to be the wealthiest people who have ever lived. I'm sure libraries can be filled now with the books written about these exceptional individuals. We could study their eating habits, their sleep schedule, their mantras they repeat to themselves when making difficult decisions, their good business practices. Hell, I bet we could even read about how often they shit. We the masses are infatuated with their success. Why aren't we like them? Why aren't our lives like theirs? Because remember, we are all perfectly equal we individually will our own destinies. It's that simple. But again, this freedom of choice is about the freedom to individually possess, produce, and accumulate wealth. Any legal barrier or limitation put upon individuals or corporations' ability to increase their wealth is seen as an unfreedom, tyrannical, and oppressive. For example, say we democratically voted on a law that says we don't want companies to be able to use a particular chemical because it can kill people or cause cancer, like the chemical they found in Johnson's baby powder. That law would be seen as oppressive to corporations who want to use this chemical for its low cost. Such a law would deny a corporation, legally protected as a human individual, the ability to accumulate wealth by producing a product with that poisonous chemical. Or how about this? 
a law that prevented banks, lenders, private investors, and real estate agents from raising the cost of housing. Or a law that said landlords couldn't charge more than X number of dollars for rent would be a direct violation of these corporations' freedom to set the price of their privately owned product. One more. A law denying a corporation the ability to extract a natural resource from a part of the country protected under a U.S. indigenous treaty would feel very oppressive to the companies denied the fundamental right to commodify the earth as they so please and accumulate the highest degree of wealth they possibly can. To limit or deny corporations and individuals the ability to competitively accumulate wealth is to deny one their freedom, their humanity. Any legal barrier to the pursuit of wealth is violence, is anti-freedom. Let us be free, the capitalist logic cries. Free to possess, free to produce, free to accumulate. Because that is what freedom means under capitalism. However, just as many would argue that the Colossians 3 peace of Christ is not the only way to think about peace and equality, neither is this capitalist perspective of freedom as individual choice the only way to understand freedom under capitalism, or even freedom itself. Let's take a look at freedom under capitalism through a different lens. Every kind of society, every kind of economy, has both freedoms and unfreedoms. There's no such thing as absolute or total freedom. For example, under capitalism, in theory, neither the employee nor the employer are bound to one another. This is a freedom granted under the system of capitalism. Legally, the employee is not bound to the employer. An employee has the freedom to leave a job and go find another one. In theory, they can sell their labor to whomever they please. Nor is the employer bound to the employee. They can, at any time and for any reason, fire employees. Or maybe the employer of hundreds, even thousands, decides it's more profitable to close up shop, lay everyone off, and buy up a whole bunch of real estate to buy and sell deer. That's their God-endowed right. Here's another freedom. This one's solely for capitalists. The board of directors and the major shareholders who elect them have the freedom to determine the cost of their privately owned commodity, whether it be penicillin, homes, bottled water, cars, or phones. They also have the freedom to determine how much or how little they'll pay their employees, no matter how much value the workers themselves produce. At the end of the day, for all people living in capitalist societies, the motto is your money, your freedom, your destiny. But some of these freedoms, not all, but some of these freedoms, under capitalism are freedoms that favor those who have more wealth over those who have less or even none. The freedom of the employer to hire and fire is an unfreedom for the employee and the unemployed. As a wage-dependent person in desperate need of employment, you have no say in whether or not someone with capital will pay you a wage for work. And as an employee, you have no say whether or not that employer will lay you off tomorrow morning when you arrive at your job. One powerful group's freedom is another disempowered group's unfreedom. 
The same goes for the freedom of real estate agents and landlords to determine the cost of housing, whether they are buying and selling or renting. The banks make money on people in debt, people who have to take out mortgages. And so the renter has, of course, no say whatsoever in how much their rent will be. The family looking to buy a house has no say in the cost of housing in any given area. The debtor is excluded from determining the interest on their loans. And so the freedoms of employer capitalists, rentier capitalists, and financial capitalists are based on the unfreedoms of workers, the landless, and borrowers. When we look beyond the illusion that you couldn't be any freer, we can see how capitalism pits the people living in capitalist societies against each other. Because when capital wins or expands its freedom, its freedom is always at the expense of the freedom and often well-being of working people, of the renter, of the debtor, of the consumer, of planetary sustainability. But capitalism tends to increasingly concentrate power and wealth into fewer and fewer hands, making the illusion of freedom even more drastic. Consider the, uh, the illusion of political equality in the U.S., we do ourselves a disservice when we say that we are living in a democracy. The multimillionaires, the billionaires, and the owners of big corporations want you to believe that your individual vote is equivalent to theirs. But do you really think everyone holds equal political power? Who might be more powerful, you with your single voice, or those with the money needed to win campaigns? Or how about the giant corporations that lobby in Washington? Wealthy corporations and individuals fund the officials we elect, not because it's fun, but because they have interests that they want protected and expanded. Interests that aren't that great for the rest of us. And so the freedom for the ultra-rich to fund the campaigns of government officials in exchange for their passing of laws written by corporate think tanks blatantly undermines the democratic freedom of the rest of us. Another glaring unfreedom for the 99 percenters is in housing. What is affordable housing when your household works 100 to 120 hour weeks, multiple jobs, yet the next several decades of your life will go to paying on a mortgage? Paying on mortgages for decades, or if not your entire life, is not freedom. That's called debt peonage or debt slavery. The same could be said with the cost of education. The vast majority of us aren't free to pursue education. Now, rich families are literally buying their kids' way into certain schools that will guarantee them certain high-wage jobs. But that's not a luxury the rest of us have. How are we free when an elite class continues to buy their way into power? I went to undergrad and grad school with people who will be paying on their unforgivable loans until they die. What is freedom if, in the same country, three white men own more wealth than half the population? You can't even retire later in life because of debt. Last one. In the land of the free, what is freedom when the majority of us are so economically strapped that, while in theory we have the freedom to just go find another job, as they say, we certainly can't afford a pay cut, or even a week without pay. Maybe we're not as free as we think we are. Let's wrap this up. 
Uh, we've seen how freedom under capitalism actually comes with unfreedom, just as it would with any other economy or society, and that some of the freedoms under capitalism do not serve the interests of everyone, or even the majority. In fact, the freedoms of those with more wealth and those in particular class positions, like employers, renters, and lenders, are often dependent on the unfreedoms of the masses, employees, renters, and debtors. We've also seen how the majority of U.S. Americans are becoming increasingly vulnerable under the illusion that we couldn't be any freer. So, as we collectively imagine a better world, a more humane and life-giving society, together, I think it's important we ask ourselves, what unfreedoms of capitalism do we wish to be freed from? And what alternative freedoms do we wish to be freed to? Let me say that again. What unfreedoms of capitalism do we wish to be freed from? And what alternative freedoms do we wish to be freed to? As a socialist, personally, I want to democratize workplaces by replacing the employer-employee relations with worker-owned, worker-directed cooperatives. That is what socialism means to me, personally. This would free workers from the unfreedom of being an employee excluded from the important decision-making process concerning the production and distribution of surplus. Everyone would be both the boss and the worker. There would be no division of the two. But this would also have its unfreedoms. Workers in the cooperative wouldn't have the choice to not have a voice, not have a vote. Uh, everyone would have to have a say in the decision-making process. That's an unfreedom I'm okay with. And I think it's important we are honest about the unfreedoms and the freedoms we are pursuing. Another unfreedom that would come with this is that there would be no minority group of individuals who could fire people. We would deny the few that incredibly life-altering power, and firing and hiring would be a democratic decision that belongs to everyone in that particular workplace. In addition to democratizing workplaces, some political freedoms I want everyone to have is the freedom to access things like work, healthcare, housing, and education. I'm okay with imposing an unfreedom on people where people couldn't opt out of access to those basic human rights. You wouldn't have to accept the job, healthcare, housing, and education, but whether a person wanted them or not, everyone would have access to those necessities. And I say this because I believe that equality and equity are fundamental to our communal and individual freedom. None of us are free until we are all free. As Paul said, if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. King put it like this, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. The question for us today is whether or not we have the vision to even see beyond the illusion that we could not be any freer.